today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, everybody's a bit antsy about that because we know China is the number two out of the black hair and they're the second biggest cotton buyer in the world. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is the first Egg News Daily podcast in July. It is July 2nd. My name is Hannah Pagel, and I am joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, how are you doing? I am fantastic, Hannah. Thanks for asking. And we are also joined by Miss Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing? I can't complain too much, Hannah. How about you? I am doing great. You know, it was a wonderful weekend, and the heat kind of cooled down. We're now in, like, the mid-80s, so that's a good start, and it's 4th of July week, so yay, America. Um, I had an interesting weekend here in Ankeny. For those of you guys that live, yeah, oh, my gosh. Okay, so Ankeny slash the Des Moines area, I think Ankeny which is a suburb north of Des Moines, got the most rain, but we got 10 inches in two hours. Holy moly. And so, Delaney, I've seen pictures on Facebook and Twitter. I know a lot of our ag Twitter friends have shown stuff. Houses damaged, basements Mm -hmm. flooded, rivers out of their banks. Everything's crazy. Did you guys, did your complex suffer any damage? We didn't, thankfully. Our um, our parking lot had a ton of water. Like, you definitely couldn't have probably got your car out, but we didn't have any damage, thankfully. Um, a family friend of mine has a house here in Ankeny, and he, is, he and his wife do. And I spent my Sunday morning helping them rip out carpet in their basement. Oh, that is a horrible They thing. got, like, yeah, it was, like, four feet of water in their basement. Wow. It's hard to believe when nature decides to uh, rain on your parade, she certainly can't. Yeah, it was seriously so crazy. I had a friend up here visiting me this weekend, and we decided, oh, yeah, let's go out on Saturday night. And we stepped foot outside of my apartment, and I it was just, it was like a monsoon. I mean, I don't even know what to compare it to. It was blowing so hard. We literally took two steps outside the door and were soaked. We did, however, go out downtown because downtown Des Moines didn't have as much rain. And I think that that was actually probably a good choice because, I don't know, what else were we going to do here? We were stuck here. The power went out at some point in the night. Just, it was a mess. Yeah, everything was crazy. And, you know, of course, Des Moines, Central Iowa got that 7 to 10 inches in two hours. But a lot of the Mm -hmm. eastern part of the state over the past week has been hammered with high winds, heavy rainfall, I saw a fella up in northeast Iowa pull corn out of the ground, and there were maybe four spindly little roots on this Mm. corn plant that was more than waist high just because it hasn't had to go searching for that moisture. And now we're heading into July. Things are heating up. We shall see what happens with the weather. Um, Hannah Pagel, what is jumping out at you for Ag News today? So the first piece I have for you guys is... More than 60 groups representing the U.S. dairy farmers and cheesemakers have written a letter to President Trump asking them to or asking him to suspend tariffs on Mexico until NAFTA talks are completed. So the group, the groups wanted to send a unified message because Mexico is the U.S. dairy industry's most reliable trading partner. And Mexico just elected a new president Mm -hmm. and he said that he he is supporting reaching a deal on renegotiating the North American Free Trade Agreement with the U.S. and Canada. So there could be some talk heating up there 
But that's just a little insight with what the dairy industry is wanting to do and they're wanting to hold off on these tariffs. I mean, uh, all around the board, they're wanting to hold off on the tariffs. But that's just a little update there. Yeah, the new Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez, is, I think, not overly supportive of President Trump. He published a book called Oi Trump or Listen Up Trump that basically condemns Trump's plan to build a border or build a wall. So I am going to be interested to see what happens moving forward. I know a lot of folks on the U.S. side are now pressuring President Trump to get going on NAFTA because there's a chance that they won't want to come to the table with us anymore. And, of course, as Hannah mentioned, those tariffs do go into effect with Mexico on Thursday. Canada's tariffs went into effect over the weekend. I think it's about $13 billion worth of products, including things like orange juice, um, bourbon, a bunch of random stuff, steel, aluminum. And then the big news is, of course, the Chinese tariffs go into effect on Friday. Busy week. That's yeah, it. and a busy, busy week. I think we are not going to run short of trade conversations for quite a little while, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, you know, last week, I think it was last week, I talked about how Egypt was growing its smallest wheat crop in recent history. Do you guys remember that? I think it was last mm-hmm. week. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we had we had a little discussion about what Egypt means for the wheat market, and what it really means is it's a huge importer. Well, we got news here. The Egyptian authorities have seized 45,000 tons of spoiled Russian wheat near Alexandria. Uh, They say the cargo was infested with worms and insects, and it was released from the port months ago, and it's just been sitting there. Apparently, there was an Egyptian businessman who imported the wheat, and nobody knows if it was imported for the Egyptian, the state, the kind of the government grain buyer, G-A-S-C, or if it was supposed to go to the private sector. This has just been a massive festering pile of wheat that has been going to waste. And now the Egyptian authorities are questioning the guy who tried to import it. So a little bit of, I suppose it'll turn out to be a scandal, but it's certainly frustrating for a country that needs wheat for bread. And, uh, you know, they've had 45,000 tons of it just go to waste. Oh, I absolutely hate the word festering. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's I think a very I've been around, you know, spoiled grain and I think festering is mm. a good word for it. It's it's a gross smell. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, I hate to take it back to tariffs and what's going on internationally. I know that we've been beating the nail on the head, but this week is go week and we have a group of farm broadcasters mm. as we've mentioned before on the podcast in China right now and Monty James is there reporting for us and brought us a little update from former Secretary of Agriculture, John Block. And I think we should turn it over to John here as he makes some comments about Chinese tariffs moving forward. We're here with former Secretary of Agriculture, John Block. And John, in our uh, travel so far across China, it's been about 10 days. And with all the issues going on nationwide with the tariff issue, what's your impression of China and what's your prediction of what's going to happen on this uh, important deadline coming up? Well, on China, uh, the first issue, I'll just say that I'm very impressed. Uh, I was here three or four times uh, at the uh, time of the uh, when I was Secretary of Agriculture. But now this country has changed. It is so dynamic and building everything up. And I've never seen so many uh, apartment condominiums and uh, our discussion and meeting with the 
Ambassador uh, Branstad was an outstanding event, and I, it it doesn't answer everything. It just tells me that I think China is looking for a resolution to our trade fight, and uh, and I hope that we do too because we need to get it over with and move ahead. And there's no question about it. Uh, they understand that they manipulate things a lot, and hopefully they're going to change that. Again, that was former Secretary of Agriculture John Block, who I think mentioned that he has been to China before, and it's just interesting now to see the, the Chinese people, it sounds like, do understand the importance that the U.S. plays in their economy and more specifically their food source. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We've seen China make huge investments in dairy processing in the U.S. and hog production with Smithfield and everything else. And plus, you know, they need our beans to keep their hogs alive. Yeah, they absolutely do, Mike. And Mike, well, you gave me a good segue into one of my next pieces. Go so, for it. The USDA came out with a hog inventory report, and so as of June 1st, there were 73.5 million hogs and pigs on U.S. farms, which is up 3% from last June, and it's up 1% from this past March. So of the 73.5 million hogs, there, 67.7 million were market hogs, and 6.32 million were kept for breeding, and then... U.S. hog producers intend to have 3.17 million sows farrow between June and August and 3.18 million sows farrow between September and November. And Iowa is still the leading um, state for hog inventory. They have about 22.7 million head, and that is closely followed by North Carolina and Minnesota. And speaking of North Carolina, we have an update with the Smithfield Foods uh, jury report with, you know, how that trial was going on against um, mm-hmm. the hog. The nuisance law case. There you go. That's what I was looking for. So <laughs> a second jury trial in North Carolina against Smithfield Foods ended last Friday, and the jurors' verdict was Smithfield was found guilty. And so a couple, an Eastern Carolina couple, will be getting $25 million reward from this case. And so this is the second out of 26 cases. So that one just wrapped up. So they're going to be getting into more of them, but that's just not good news for the hog industry there. And Hannah, just to clarify, this is a different case than the $50 million that was awarded on the last one we talked about, right? Correct. Is this another? Correct. Jeez. So that was the very Two of first 26. case. Yes. You said, right? Two of 26. Yes, exactly. It's too many numbers being thrown around right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so effectively, North Carolina juries have awarded $75 million to two of 26 hog operations. That's right. And it's interesting Holy because cow. Smithfield said that there are a lot of new technologies that can be used to you know, bring down the smell and whatnot, but they're saying that it'll it's just too expensive right now or at this time. They estimate that it would cost approximately $1 million per farm to change their manure handling systems, but in the grand scheme of things, that $1 million doesn't look like a whole lot when you're talking $75 million in lawsuit um, paper right up. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Plus all the lawyer fees, all the publicity fees. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Seems like they should have made this move a long time ago. That's right. Oof. Oh, boy. Delaney, what else is jumping out at you? Mm. 
Well, as we're talking about severe weather across the United States, Colorado is being hit with quite a bit of wildfires right now. Northern Colorado is getting hit pretty hard. And as of Friday morning or Friday afternoon, excuse me, there were, oh gosh, a handful of wildfires burning thousands of acres. There's a the Sugarloaf Fire, which is last reported, was burning 845 acres. A big one, Badger Creek, was burning about 20,800 acres. Another one I saw was uh, the Spring Fire burning about 24,000 acres. So they're continuing to get hit really hard. It doesn't look like any of the wildfires are as big as what they were last year around this time, but still something that they have been fighting and actively dealing with here over the last month or two, it sounds like. Geez, you hate to hear that. You know, homes and livelihoods and uh, certainly a lot of risk up there in, in Colorado as these wildfires spread. Absolutely. Well, let's see. I just have one other piece of news. As a lot of our listeners know, and Delaney, as you know, I love looking at stuff to buy. It's one of my favorite things. I don't buy very nice stuff very often, but I get a kick out of looking. And real estate is one of those things I like to look at. And have either of you seen the ranch in Nebraska that's for sale? No. Okay. It is Nebraska's most expensive farm listing. It is 10,343 acres of farm and ranch land, 44 center pivots on 5,600 acres. On the remaining 4,700 acres, there's 2,300 cow-calf pairs and a 2,500-head feedlot. Guess how much they are asking for this property? I have no idea. Hannah, any any guesses? Um, millions of dollars. Yes, you are correct. 34 <laughs> of them, in fact. Oh, my God. $34 million for this land in the north central sand hills in Nebraska. So if any of our listeners are out there, maybe they, they've made some right calls with their marketing this year, and they just really have $34 million burning a hole in their pocket, there's an operation for sale in Nebraska. Okay. Well, that's a good segue for my last uh, piece of news here. Kind of the opposite here. Somebody scammed the government out of money, nearly a million dollars to be exact. An Alabama farmer has just been charged with falsifying documents that have allowed him to receive $919,000 in crop insurance money that he was not entitled to. He apparently has been doing this since March of 2016, submitting at least 14 false claims of loss between July and November of 2016. Wow. That's unbelievable. Wow, a million bucks. Yeah. Boy, that's, uh, that's not ideal. I mean, that's it's not a, great as a taxpayer. That's kind of frustrating. It's not, uh, you know, wonderful as people or as uh, our policymakers in D.C. are trying to decide what to do with things like crop insurance when they see cases like this. Yes, yes, that is true. Well, Hannah, do you have any other news for us here to uh, before we kick it off to uh, Ashley Arrington? I have no more pieces, but uh, Mike, why don't you get us into the markets for this Market Monday? I certainly shall. And folks, our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. You can get in touch with them and put a marketing plan together by calling 312-277-0050, or you can visit the website at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. 
and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, folks, we've got a lot of red on the screen today. Looking at the corn market right off the bat, July corn down 12 and three quarter cents at 337 and a half. December down 12 and a quarter, finished at 359 even. In the soybean pit, uh, July contract down 10 cents at 848 and a half. November new crop down 10 and a half cents, closed at 869 and a half. And in Chicago wheat, the July contract down 17 and a quarter to finish at 480 and a quarter. September down 21 cents on the day, closed at 480 and a quarter. Looking over to the world of livestock, mixed trade and live cattle, August front month was up 17 and a half cents at 106.90. The October contract down 17 and a half to finish at 109.85. Green on the screen in feeder cattle with the August contract up 60 cents at 151.92.50. September up a dollar 17 and a half to finish at 152.12.50. A look at lean hogs again. Mixed trade today. The front month July up 32 and a half cents at 83.20. August big downward move dropped two dollars seven and a half cents to close at 74.37. 7.50. And of course, we've got to take a look at the dairy market today in class three milk. The June contract, which is off, expired, obviously, excuse me. July was up eight cents on the day at 14.68 and the August was down six to close at 15.28. Now we will be talking with Ashley Arrington. So let's get a quick look at the cotton market. July was down 88 cents at 84.50 and December new crop down almost a dollar to close at 82.93. Before we kick it over to Ashley with Agra Authority, let's hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. Joining us from Latham High Tech Seeds this week is Phil Long, the agronomic specialist. And Phil, we've been hearing reports throughout the Corn Belt of ample rainfall events. We're starting to see some ponding. Some of the beans are starting to change colors. What should growers be looking for and what should we be doing? Seems like this spring has been an excellent time to, to spot some of those those different disorders out there in soybeans and especially uh, iron deficiency chlorosis. Uh, it's one of them that's, that's showing up. Uh, but, but remember, that's that's on the top of the plants. That's you're going to see that yellowing, that intervenal chlorosis yellowing in the top of the plant, uh, not necessarily throughout the plant. Um, that's going to be kind of your key factors in, in in differentiating between a flooding issue and then whether it's iron deficiency chlorosis. What should I do if I am noticing iron deficiency chlorosis? Sure. So, you know, typically it shows up in, in, in those saturated areas, those areas of, of high pH is really what causes it. Um, but, but a lot of it's also caused by just poor root growth. So that's a combination of factors, obviously. Uh, but it, it's a hard one to uh, to get to get rid of, uh, especially if you have a high pH scenario. So the, the best things are picking uh, genetics uh, that are favorable for that. We have our, our ironclad, ironclad soybeans are, are known for having high IDC tolerance uh, built into the, the genetics. Um, that's the best method around it. Um, other than that, spraying typically doesn't show a yield advantage at the end of the season. It's just too diluted. Um, you may see a response in greenness, but uh, typically your best bet is genetics, maybe an in the furrow if you want to try it with a with a better defensive genetics is, is typically the best route to go. All right, folks, and if you want to get those genetics to work on your farm next year, call 877-GO-LATHAM or visit their website at LathamSeeds.com. All right, well, for today's Market Monday, we are joined by our southern friend, Ashley Arrington from Georgia and Agra Authority. Ashley, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Of course, thanks for having me. Ashley, let's start here 
let's talk weather first. I want to talk weather, and then we'll get to trade and some of the bigger issues in your area. How are crops looking in that part of the country? I know you guys have a lot of cotton acres, a lot of peanut acres. Break it down for us. Yeah, we have a pretty light crop here. We had very um, extensive planting delays. Some didn't get replanted. It just got completely drowned out. Um, we had about 10 days of consecutive rain, and then we had Alberto right behind it. And here recently, we've also been having pop-up thunderstorms every single night. So we're excessively wet, um, exactly opposite to the other part of cotton country, which is very, very dry. So we have one extreme to the next to the opposite ends of cotton country. So the crop's looking a bit behind right now. Well, now, and Ashley, that was my question. I mean, we've seen a lot of pictures from West Texas uh, where it is just bone dry. Dry land cotton is dead, irrigated cotton. I mean, even then, they're, they're running out of water. When you look at production, Georgia, the southeast versus West Texas, you know, Oklahoma, Kansas, who produces more and, and what should be moving the market here? Texas is the biggest by far. Um, they and they seem to have the biggest issues in some of their um, heaviest cotton areas, which would be the West Texas area, but they're also having some problems in the southern part of the state as well. The southern part of the state is where they have their earliest crop planted and the earliest to harvest. And it's the same thing in both places. We've had extremely dry conditions, but on top of being dry, it's been excessively hot. And that excessive heat, is that's what you're talking about. You know, it's also harming the irrigated because even with the water, the cotton can only stand so much hot and dry conditions. So we're seeing yield loss in the irrigated crop as well as some complete losses in the drying crop acres in Texas. When you look at, at mar- from a market perspective, has this hot and dry weather been priced into the cotton market yet? Yes, we've definitely seen some price premium for what's going on in Texas because we've seen the market move somewhat when there was some talk of rain coming out there or not or rain not hitting key areas there. So, yeah, there's definitely some weather premium in there, and we're already looking at – we already know there's already some losses. Insurance has already zeroed out some acres in all across the cotton country of Texas. Now, Ashley, I want to bring it back to Friday was report day from the USDA. We got into detail with corn and soybeans and some and wheat. We did not talk cotton much on Friday, so bring us up to speed. What were you expecting? What was the trade anticipating? And what did we end up getting out of USDA on Friday? Well, I was expecting a few more acres than what we actually had. Um, trade was expecting, I saw estimates from 13.73 up to above 14 million acres, Um Plant intentions back in March had us at 13.47, and we got 13.5 out of this report, 13.3 of which is upland or SP&P, of course. So most people saw it as neutral to slightly bullish because we weren't expecting a bigger jump in acreage, um, but we didn't get it. We stayed pretty level. So, yeah. Now, when when we talk acreage, of course, in corn, we've got planted acres, and then we've got abandoned acres, and then harvested acres. In cotton, if we're looking at droughts in the west and drownouts in the southeast, what what are folks anticipating for abandoned acres? We're we're expecting somewhat. Uh, we've already seen an increase in abandonment. I feel like USDA may have been um, a bit slow to recognize abandonment last year, especially after the hurricane came through. Um, 
but we really didn't see the damage that was done until we got to harvesting some of those acres last year. But USDA has been a bit quicker this year to go ahead and price in abandonment because early on we really started to see what was going on in Texas. They were having issues just getting planted because of dryness. So we're already seeing that being taken up. Um, and we're already in the double digit 17, I believe, as of this report. Ashley, with all that being said, a fairly, you know, or a semi-bullish report on Friday. We're sitting down almost a dollar today in the July contract, a dollar forty in the October contract. What's going on? Why are the cotton markets reacting so negatively to last Friday's report? Yeah, well, it's. I guess it wasn't positive. It wasn't negative. Some people may have seen it slightly bullish because we were expecting a, a bigger jump up in acres. Some people thought the acres that come out was a bit low because we were expecting an uptick, but we stayed level. So what's going on really, China's weighing hard on it. We don't know what's going to go on with that. And really, even though the production is down in some areas, we still have more acres. It's 7% overall from last year. So we still have a lot of acres, and there's still more acres in non-traditionally um, or non-historically cotton-producing states. The last report showed 29% increase in cotton acres in Kansas and 23% Oklahoma. So we're seeing a lot more acres, even though Texas is having a problem, and of course they're the biggest, but we are seeing more acres all around overall also. Now, Ashley, I feel like the next topic of conversation is going to have to be trade with the tariffs coming out this week, but I want to take us back in time just two, three months ago when China was making some pretty big purchases, and we saw a great rally in the cotton market, ran the December up into the mid-90s somewhere, and now we've backed off. Bring us up to speed. What's happening with China? What's going on internationally? Yeah, we had got up to 94.82 was the high that we hit, and I believe that was June 8th that we hit that. And we were looking at dryness in Texas. I was looking at it. We were expecting maybe some rain. If the rain didn't hit, some thought we may have went up to a dollar. But right when that was happening, that's when China hit us with the $200 billion. And at the same time, we're seeing the possibility of rain in Texas. Of course, the drop that we saw can be more attributed to trade more so than the rain happening in Texas. But, of course, it's worth mentioning. Um, but we've lost 10% in value in the December contract since then. We were at, 90, we're at 94, almost 95, and we were, I've been on the road, so you have to excuse me, the last time I looked at the market, we were hovering at 83, 84. So that's a dime, about almost 10% in value in the December contract since the announcement from China. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, those tariffs do go into effect this week or are intended to go into effect this week. Ashley, what have you been hearing in your conversations with growers about the tariffs that are going into effect, both cotton producers and not cotton producers? Yeah, everybody's a bit antsy about that because we know China is the number two as of last year. They're the second biggest cotton buyer in the world. So, of course, we're worried, you know, about what's going to happen with that. Peanuts also, they were a big buyer of our peanuts. We had an oversupply the year before last, and we thought contracts may go down, but then China came in and they bought really big from us. So both of those are big crops for us, and they're both on the chopping block. So we're pretty antsy, and we're definitely got our ears open for anything and everything that's going to come out about that to see what's going to happen. Now, Ashley, with Agri-Authority, your company, you work with a lot of farmers growing a whole variety of crops down there in the southeast. Tell us, uh, broadly speaking, how are balance sheets looking? How are growers able to weather uh, these these downtrends in commodity prices that we've seen over the past three weeks? 
That's a good question. Um, we had the opportunity to price everything that was grown around here at a profitable level if people took advantage of the market when they had that opportunity. But last year, I began to see a little bit of, the rec- of a recovery in the South, honestly. We had really good peanut contract prices. Then we had good um, cash strength started to kick in, which kind of fed into the rally that started at the beginning of this year for cotton. We started seeing $0.80 cent cash prices December last year which then put optimism back out there, made it a little bit easier to get loans approved because projections look better on paper because you're instead of using $0.65, cent, $0.68, cent, we were using projections the year before, we were able to use something a lot better than that. So projections were looking better. So things that were looking better, of course, we're seeing a bit of a crash now, but, hey, man, at $0.83 cent cotton, I'm not going to talk anybody out of pricing that. That's still very profitable. So we're still – you know, the biggest thing now, prices are decent for us on cotton and peanuts still, but we're just worried now about making the crop because of weather issues. Absolutely. Actually, ahead of the tariffs going into effect later this week, if folks haven't contracted some cotton yet, should they be looking to do so because of potential weather issues? What are your thoughts there? Well, this is the thing. The people I've talked to in Georgia, the people I've talked to in Texas, and all the cotton producers in between tell me I'm as contracted or as hedged as I want to be right now because taking into account yield loss in my whether they're in the southeast and they didn't get as many acres planted as they wanted to or they planted late and they're scared of uh, early frills or if they had dry land acres that were zeroed out somewhere in between. So a lot of people are as hedged as they want to be, but if they're not, look at it here. We are at profitable levels. I know, you know, you may have had the opportunity to contract 94 and you didn't because you were waiting on 96, 97. You thought it was going up. But, you know, we could go back up, yeah, if we have more dry weather in Texas, positive trade talks with China, but we also could have negative trade talks with China China and better weather in other places. So take advantage if you see it coming, but we're still profitable here if you haven't booked anything. Now, Ashley, if we've got listeners tuning in right now who want to talk to you, they want to work with Agra Authority, how can they get a hold of you? Where can they learn more? Um, the easiest way to contact me is through email, just Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, at agraauthority, A-G-R-I, authority.com. Fantastic. Ashley Arrington, thanks for taking the time and filling us in on what all is going down in cotton country. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'd like to keep you all up to date. Well, guys, I do enjoy talking to Ashley. That southern accent is just a ray of sunshine, isn't it? It absolutely is. And it was also it really cool to get the perspective of cotton and peanuts because, like, I, I don't have really any experience with that. So, I mean, it was cool to get their perspective down south. You bet. Yeah, the the industry of agriculture across America is very, very diverse. And here at Ag News Daily, we're going to talk corn and beans and cattle and hogs, but we're also going to talk cotton and peanuts and fish and who knows whatever else. Delaney, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up the rest of the week? Well, of course, tomorrow we have a Tech Tuesday episode. And uh, just to give a little teaser, it's going to be an interesting episode about how one company is helping with a labor shortage problem in rural America. We've got great things coming the rest of the week. We're not going to be doing a podcast on the 4th of July. We're going to take that off and enjoy that day. And we hope all of you do as well. But if you are missing us on the 4th of July, you can always find us on social media or online. And Hannah, where can they find us? Folks, you can head to our website at www.agnewsdaily.com. You can leave a comment. We have a subscription box there. Give us a like. And then you can also find us on social media, Facebook, and Twitter. So with that, Mike and Delaney, should we let the people go? 
Atuarangal.